Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. It was very interesting for me growing up, and, and I would hear about the Holy Spirit telling people to like lick out of toilets. This is no lie. I've actually read the newspaper article. And so there, there's all these things, and, and so there's a part of us that are... Uh, intimidated to let the Holy Spirit have control. And that's what the video showed us. Where you like things, I like things just the way they are. And we really don't want God to come in and dwell us and mess with us, right? Then there's the other part um, where the Holy Spirit's desire is to move among his people. And um, he wants to move in his church And uh, we get in the way. And so we're going to learn over the next uh, few weeks on what we can do and who the Holy Spirit is, how he wants to move in our lives. Before we get started, I need you to just imagine that you are a a disciple. And um, I need you to imagine that um, you've walked with Jesus for three years. That's roughly what it was. And I need you to imagine just that you're in a room with him for a moment. And uh, you left everything. You have family that won't uh, talk to you. You have people um, that judge and condemn you. And then because of the culture in which you were raised, you believe that this Messiah that you are following is going to overthrow Rome. We see that in, in uh, James and John were two of the people that followed him. And their mom comes to Jesus and says, In your kingdom, will you allow my sons, James and John, one to sit on your right hand and the other to sit on your left hand? And Jesus looks at her and he goes, You don't even know what you're asking for. But what they thought was that he was going to come overthrow Rome and become the king of Israel and reign physically in that time period. And they're waiting. And they're following. They're sacrificing. They see him being moved with compassion towards people. They see his heart. And they can't wait to see what the kingdom is going to be like. And, and now they're, at, they're celebrating Passover. And it's different this year. He's different. He's talking different. Some of the things you know he's said before, but this time there's something about him where something is deeper. And then he says this, it's better for you. It's for your advantage that I go away. Go away where, Jesus? I gave up everything to follow you. I left my business. I have family. I've been following you everywhere. And you're telling me it's to my advantage that you go away? And he says, the helper will come. He says, if I go, I will send him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for an opportunity to worship you and to study your word.
just to meditate on it. Father, I pray that uh, you would move in our hearts. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, one, for becoming man. For becoming one of us and setting the example that we needed to see. Holy Spirit, we honor you. We welcome you here. Gosh, we ask you to move in our hearts. We know that you're indwelling in us. We pray that we would leave here more empowered by you to do great works for you to make much of Jesus. And it's his hint's name that I pray. Amen. Today we're going to look at three things. Everybody say three things. We're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is. We're going to look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to look at what that means for you and I and how we apply that. Jesus um, quotes more from the book of Deuteronomy out of the Torah. It's Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He quotes more out of that book than he does any other book in all of the Old Testament, as we affectionately call it, or the Hebrew Bible. And Jesus quotes from this specific text, which is known as the Shema to an Israel, a Jewish person, a children of Israel, would actually pray it in the morning and pray it in the evening twice a day. And here's what Scripture says as we start today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everybody say one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your might. If we're going to discuss the Holy Spirit, who he is, and what he is capable of doing, I think it's really important that we define him. And I don't know that we can really define him unless I at least introduce you to the idea or the concept of the Trinity. Dr. Chuck Misler said this. He said, The doctrine of the Trinity has been at the heart of much theological controversy. The routine objection is that the doctrine sacrifices monotheism to tritheism. But this objection thrives on the misconception of divine personality and the image of disparate individual human selves. The word Trinity never appears in Scripture. You can't find it. It's not there. But there is, um, you can see it appearing. You can see it, um, at least the concept, you can see it there over and over again, although the word itself actually never is spoken. Now listen, we Christians, we know how to mess things up. I mean, if we're good at anything, it's like taking something and then trying to explain it. Now, I'm not saying you just have to have blind, dumb, ignorant faith in, in all things. I'm not saying just like, oh, well, you know what? I I believe that I can see God through the creation. That's what Romans tells me. I can see that. I believe that. We don't have, and and this is what we try to do. We try, and I think very well intended most of the time, to try to explain something that's very deep, that's very theological. And this is what happened. We resort to convenient models that, that help us understand something. Let me give you some of my favorite. The Holy Spirit the Son of God, Jesus, and God the Father are like a three-braided cord and they're wrapped together and they're one. Okay, that works. Maybe it helps you. The other one is the three primary colors. Do you know when you overlap the three primary colors, what color do you get? White, right? And you're like, oh, 
Well, not white. Anyway, I'm going to explain this. When you overlap the three primary colors, the color that comes in the middle, this is what we do. We're like, oh, it's like three colors becoming one. Or as a youth pastor, my all-time favorite, I probably said this, I don't know, a dozen times, is that God is like water and ice and gas. And those are the three. Right? That's what we try to do. We try to explain something. And I hate the word, I hate the strong word, but I, I dislike the word person because then we think about you and I as a, as a person. This is what I need you to get through your thin, ladies, your very thin skulls, men, through your very thick skulls. The Holy Spirit is God. He's God. We have to not only believe that, but then allow him to live through us because the Holy Spirit is indwelling us desperate to live through us and he loves you if he didn't love you he would be impossible to disappoint and scripture tells us that we can quench him scripture tells us that we can basically hurt his feelings i know this is a heavy theological premise i'm not trying to convolute or i'm not trying to dumb down such an important thing but we try to explain the inexplainable. Dr. Dwight Pryor, one of my favorite all-time Bible teachers, um, said this, God cannot be compared to anything because he is the source of everything. And so that's what we try to do. But I want you to know this. Let me just tell you a couple things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not show up at Pentecost, okay? He's been there since the beginning. We're going to look at a few scriptures. We're going to look at them quickly. But I want you to know that the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament. We can start in the very first book of Genesis chapter 1. I'm in my 20s. And I'm taking my first uh, paid um, youth pastorate. And I got paid more than we pay Tyson. It was 50 bucks a month. And uh, I was rolling in the money. Just put it in ones and roll around in it. And... um, um, but I loved what I did. And so I go to my pastor at the time. I'm like, listen, this, I, this is complicated. I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain the Trinity. And I said, um, I'm, I'm trying to, I, don't, I can't find it in the Old Testament. He goes, Ronnie, it's in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Go and read it. So I go and read Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. And nope, nope, nope. The word Trinity is not there. I'm looking for it. This is what Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those four words will impact everything you believe and live, how you believe and the way you, in which you'll live out your life. In the beginning, God. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And I'm like, sweet. I'm assuming God is the father. I see the spirit. There's no trinity. Then it goes on and says this, And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So I go to this pastor, and I said, the Trinity's not there. I've read it 1,500 times. He said, yeah, it is right. I go read again. So I go and I read it again probably another 700 times. I'm like, there, and I'm slow. You guys know that. Remedial math, remedial English, all that fun stuff, right? And uh, that's kind of a lie, but that should have been. And... um, I remember thinking, I took AP science in history. Those all these subjects were worth anything in my book. And um, I, um, I remember thinking, there's, it has to be here. It has to be here. So he shows me grace. 
And he says this, right? And he go read John chapter 1. And I go to flip John chapter 1. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I did what just went over my head. I was like, man alive. And he said, Ronnie, as soon as Genesis chapter 3 uses the word said, Jesus shows up because he's the word. God is there. The spirit is moving and Jesus is speaking. The Trinity exists in Genesis 1. Could you not have told me that last week, man? And that's really how I felt. But even if we carry on, just in the same chapter, let's read this. It says this, and then God said, let us, 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 everybody say us, make man in our, everybody say our, our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over the livestock and all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him male and female. I'm so thankful for that, by the way. The word used for God is a word, it's Elohim. And it shows up in the text, and we miss it in English. We, English is, is not as complicated. I've heard it's hard to learn. Fortunately for me, I didn't have to. I mean, I just kind of was raised in it, speaking it, right? But we are, our words are limited, and sometimes things can be lost in translation. That's why it's important that you take 201 so that you can learn how to study the Bible and learn how to study the Greek and Hebrew. We teach you a very simple way to do that so that you don't miss stuff like this. And this is one of the things. The word Elohim is actually a plural noun. But it's used with a singular verb. Now, you guys know I know how to tear up the English language, and I've never let the English language get in the way of me making a good point. But this is, and we miss it whenever it's translated in English. It says God, Elohim, plural, and then it gives a singular action verb. Even in the text in the Hebrew language, it's there. The plurality is just... We see it. We, if we're not careful, it'll go right over our heads because we're like, well, the hour? What do you mean hour? God said hour? And then people come up with all these doctrines and Jesus and God in the creation was speaking to the angels that were around him and all this. And it's not at all what was happening. The Holy Spirit is active in the New Testament. He is present everywhere. He is present at Jesus' baptism. It says this in Matthew chapter 3, And Jesus was baptized immediately when he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is going to be later, but let me just put it to you this way, because I struggle like with my sin nature. We will always be wrestling this side of eternity with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've unpacked that, I think, more than once at this church. But do you realize something? And you you have it better than Jesus did. Until Jesus' death on the cross, the Holy Spirit, and we can look at it and unpack it a little bit, only rested upon people, never indwelled them. You got it better. I got it better. Jesus, the uh, Holy Spirit, is also present at the atonement of the cross, which we celebrated earlier in our service together. It says this in Hebrews 9. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He's present at the resurrection. 
It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sin, that the righteous, uh, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Romans in chapter 8, and we'll look at it in just a minute. It says, it's the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead that dwells inside each of us. The Holy Spirit is God. He's ever-present and He's active all throughout the Old Testament. He's ever-present and He's active through the New Testament. And His desire is to be present and active now. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Each week we'll look at something else that Jesus said and try to um, pull personal application from that. In John chapter 14, and Jess did such a great job, And I'm not going to read all of it. I just want to highlight a few things. It says this, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus knows that the Holy Spirit's a part of the program. Jesus knows that he's got to go away. He has to leave so that his disciples can have the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So he can send God in the spirit form, in the spiritual person. He says, I want to send you another helper. Then in verse 19, he says, Because I live, you also will live. Verse 20, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus is with us. He's indwelling us. He's there walking with you as the Holy Spirit. God is with us. Your heavenly Father that loves you is with you. And I could unpack every one of these thoughts. I need you to know that Jesus knew it was better for him to go away. He knew it was. It doesn't make sense. I know some of you guys just show up on Sunday so you can hang out with me. It's like the favorite, most favorite part of your week. That's probably not entirely true. But that's how, I mean, imagine being with Jesus. You're like, you're going away. It's not better. And Jesus says, yes, it is. Because I have some, in the flesh, I have some geographical restrictions. As the Holy Spirit, there are none. So what does this mean for the Christian? What does this mean for you? I just need you to get one point today. This is it. The Holy Spirit reminds you, reminds me that we belong to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In the book of Romans, it says this in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know I've done this a lot. I mean, I've tried to please God by like earning, I'm trying to earn something from him. I'm trying to make him happy with me. It's impossible to do in the flesh. It goes on to say, You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He'll give us life. He'll give life to our mortal bodies. The reason the Holy Spirit is here is because he wants to remind you that you are Christ. He wants to remind you in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians verse 6, verses 19, to, 19 through 20. It's just two verses. It says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. Jesus, uh, to rile up the religious folk, he says, go ahead and destroy my body and in three days, go ahead and destroy the temple in three days, I'll bring it up again. It had taken forever for this temple to be built. And they're like, what are you talking about? And Jesus is speaking of the temple that you and I are. We are the temple of God. Guys, that's fascinating to me. It's one of the mysteries, I think, that of, of Scripture. Is that God in his spiritual form rested on the Ark of the Covenant behind the Holy of Holies inside this temple. And now because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit desperately wants to indwell the believer and we shut him out. Or at minimum, we spill cold water on him. Or even worse, when he's trying to get our attention, we ignore him. I love the Song of Solomon. It's a neat book. It's really a, it's almost like a play. There's multiple parts as you're reading Song of Solomon. There's the prince, if you will. There's the princess. There's the maidens. And they're basically singing a song to each other. And they're really talking about making out, which is probably why I dig the book. But there's this really beautiful little portion that I want to tell you today, I believe, is God speaking to you in the most intimate of ways. It says this in Song of Solomon, chapter 8. It says this. It's almost like an invitation. You set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. And jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench the love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for the love of the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. God is saying, the love that I am offering you is priceless. And I love you so much that I want to set my seal upon you. Would you let me seal, put my seal, my imprint, the fingerprint of God. Would you allow me to put it on the inside of you in that temple and put it over your heart? Man, it's neat. His desire is to set his seal upon you. The seal of the Holy Spirit. So you know that you are Christ. In Romans chapter 8, we can go back to Romans 8. Finishing out the thought is Paul. And Romans 8 is a really neat um, portion of Scripture, really talking about the Holy Spirit. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, or fathers. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you sets a seal of love upon you so that you can have the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he does it because he doesn't want you to be fearful. He doesn't want you to be afraid. He doesn't want you to be confused. He doesn't want you to have questions about your identity, whether or not you are a son or a daughter of God. He wants you to be assured of the finished work of the cross of Calvary so that you know that you are Christ. Ephesians put it this way, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to praise of the glory. Who's the Holy Spirit? And there's a lot of things that are out there about him. And allowing him to live, and I'm telling you, it's a, it, there's a process. So many Christians, I think, get confused at sanctification. There's an ancient rabbi, and he, I think this is about the 300s. I cannot remember his name, but he said, If you are no better today than you were yesterday, what need of do you have of tomorrow? Man, that quote has haunted me most of my adult life. If you are no closer, let me rephrase it and make it my own, and you guys can put it on Twitter later like I invented it. If you are no closer to Jesus today than you were yesterday, what need do you have of tomorrow? For our life is all about Him, being consumed by Him, allowing the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us with a precious seal, a fingerprint of God, and then allowing our hearts to be filled with His presence so He can live out through us, setting His love as a seal upon our hearts. The neatest thing to me about the Holy Spirit, this is my last thought, and I'm going to pray is we have this great invitation. I don't know if you've ever been invited by somebody to be somewhere special like where you, like, irons your clothes or, you know, you put on something nice and you wanted to make sure you made a good impression. But we... we <laughs> if any invitation that you've ever received in its greatest grandeur doesn't even come close to the invitation, I believe that Paul lays out for us in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering of sacrifice to God. Today, with the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, I offer you the invitation to be an imitator of God. That's what the invitation is. The invitation is because of the Holy Spirit, we get to be Jesus everywhere we go. We get to offer our lives as a fragrant offering every day to the creator of the world and just say thank you. 
Thank you for loving me enough to place all of my iniquity upon you so that when the Father in heaven sees me, he sees me as the righteousness of his Son and he desperately wants to move through me by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Will you be an imitator of God? Will you just lay down your life as a fragrant offering? And saying, God, no matter what you ask me to walk through, I'll walk through it. God, no matter what you want me to endure, I'm going to do it with my head held high. God, no matter what fear and anxiety I have, I cast it out because I have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. And I'm going to walk in confidence that I am an adopted son and daughter of God. Man. You know, I've heard weird stories about people who are adopted, struggling. And I'm sure that there is a baggage that I I don't want to claim that I have any idea. But how beautiful and how confident one must one be to know that they were chosen and loved. It's beautiful. This shouldn't make you weird. It shouldn't cause confusion. It should make you feel special. You and I were adopted by God, grafted in to his family as sons and daughters. And he didn't want to leave you. As Jesus said in the beginning, I don't want to leave you like an orphan. So I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.